Here's what it is. Yesterday, there was a real important birthday that happened. And today, there's a real important birthday that happened. Yesterday, Julie Jones turned 30 again. And, um, and Kevin Longmire, Mr. Kevin in the back, he turns, I don't even know what today, okay? Any guesses? How old do you guys think Mr. Kevin is? Yeah, what do you think, Levi? 45. You're close. You are close. Yeah, that is real close. Good. Yeah, you have a guess? 38? Closer. Yeah? 46. That was close, but just ahead of 48 also. Yes, we have, we have got a lot of guesses. Those are excellent guesses, by the way. But here's what I thought we would do. You guys could help me. I'll actually help lead you on this one. Let's sing happy birthday to Miss Julie and Mr. Kevin. Got it? You guys ready? Maybe you could help us as well. All right? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Miss Julie and Mr. Kevin. Happy birthday to you. Excellent, excellent job. Now, here's what I want us to do just for a moment. I'm going to have your help. You're going to maybe answer some other questions, just like you did with Kevin's age. We'll have you answer a couple other ones too, right? And uh, what I want to do is talk to you a little bit from the book of Proverbs. We're starting a series on the book of Proverbs. It's all about wisdom. And our hope this fall is to really lean into what is wisdom. So let me ask you this question first. What is a proverb? Does anyone know what a proverb is? Yeah. A book in the Bible. Good. What else? A book in the Bible. Yes. It is. Uh, you're so right. It is a book in the Bible, and it is also a proverb in general. It's like a wise saying. It's like a little piece of advice, a small little piece of advice. So let me give you a couple examples. Here's one. Honesty is the best policy. Have you heard that before? Here's what that means. Maybe your mom or dad has said that to you. Honesty is the best policy means to be honest in everything, to always tell the truth. It's the best decision you could make. Okay? Here's another one. Two heads are better than one. Have you heard that before? Two heads are better than one. That kind of sounds weird, but here's what it means. That if you work together... Or in the case of this, if we live in community with one another, if we come together and do something together, it's far better than if we try to do it by ourselves. So, now I need a little help from you guys with a few of these, okay? I'll give you the first part, you help fill in the second part. Ready? Two wrongs, maybe your mom or dad told you this, two wrongs don't make a right. Correct, very good. Well done, one point for you. Check. You like that smile? Good. Uh, a picture is worth... <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yeah. Anyone else? Any other guesses? A picture is worth... Maybe the audience could help us. A thousand words. Good. How about this? Actions speak louder than... Words, very good. Actions speak louder than words. Now I'm gonna give. This is gonna keep getting a little harder. Okay, so here's a little bit of a harder one. When in Rome, I told you it was gonna be hard. Anyone? Do as the Romans. Good. It reminds me of another one. Have you heard this one before? What happens in Vegas? 
Wait, we'll skip that one. Skip that one. Okay. How about this? Um, don't count your chickens ever. No, before they hatch. Okay. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. One last one. When the going gets tough, yeah, the tough get going. That's right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> tough get going. So now, listen, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, it says this to us. It says, you should crave wisdom. That you should desire wisdom. That means you should want it really, really bad. Say that with me. Desire wisdom. Ready? Desire wisdom. Now you should want it. What are some things that you guys want, like as much as you might want wisdom? Like you just want them so bad. Like sometimes I just want so bad to have a Snickers bar. Is anyone else with me on that? Yeah? Okay. What are some other things that you want so bad? Yeah, what do you want so bad? What do you want so bad? All the candies in the world. I, I like that. I like that. Yes, Levi. You want an iPod. I do too. That would be great. Yes. Say that again. Some wild crats stuff. I missed that show. You'll have to fill me in on that one later. Okay? Okay, one over here. Yes. I would like mermaids that actually swim by themselves. I would too. They're usually hanging out with dolphins a lot. And I'd prefer them just by themselves. That's excellent. That's excellent. Now, well, we'll, we'll stop there. And let me ask you this question, okay? Where do you guys find wisdom? If, you were, if someone had just asked you, hey, can you help me find wisdom? Where, where could you find wisdom? In your mind, good. Where else could you find it? Yeah? The Bible. I like snakes. I like snakes too. They're excellent. Yes. Where else would you find wisdom? Maybe some of us else could help. Find wisdom among friends. Where else? Yeah. The church. The church, yeah. Back in kids' community. Find wisdom in our Bibles. One place that I've always wondered where we could find wisdom is fortune cookies. Have you guys ever had a fortune cookie? Yeah? You crack it open, cool things come out like this. I thought it would be really cool if they had fortune cookies that were kind of a little bit mean. I know that's bad, but I just think it'd be funny. So like, oh, go back, go back, go back, go back. Like this one, you'll be hungry again in one hour. Like you, you just got done eating, you ate the whole thing, and you open it up and they're like, whoa, what a great fortune. Or this one. Next. You're totally going to blow your presentation today. You're totally going to mess up. You're going to make a mistake. That's a stinky fortune. Right? So maybe we don't get wisdom there. So, where do you get it? We're going to be talking about that this fall. But let me tell you about this one little story. There was a guy back in the day that they said was like Mr. Fortune Cookie. He was a guy that had so much wisdom. His name was Socrates. And the thing about Socrates is he would, people would come to him and they would ask him for wisdom and they would say, tell us, tell us, give us something really good. And so one day this young man came to Socrates and he said, Socrates, will you give me wisdom? 
I'm looking for wisdom. I want it. I desire it. So Socrates said, follow me. And so he started walking through the town, through the village, started walking, walked all the way out to the sea, got to the edge of the sea and walked all the way in. He walked into the sea up to about his chest. And the young man followed him all the way into the sea and they were standing there in the water together. And Socrates said to the young man, he said, tell me again what it is you wanted. And the man said, I want wisdom. That's why I came to you. So listen to what Socrates did. He grabbed him by the shoulders and he dunked him under the water and he held him there for 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden he let him up and the guy came up out of the water and he's like, he's breathing heavy. And Socrates said, explain to me what it is you wanted. And the guy said, I want wisdom. I came to you for wisdom. So Socrates looked at him, grabbed him by the shoulders again, dunked him under the water. 30 seconds, 35 seconds, 40 seconds, 45 seconds. Then he let him up, and then the guy gets up, and he's breathing real heavy. He's trying, he's like gasping for air. He's trying to get the air into his lungs again. And Socrates said, again, tell me what it is you want. And the guy said, I came to you for wisdom. Please give me wisdom. Socrates still wasn't happy with the answer, and so he grabbed him again, and he put him under the water for a full minute. And then he let him up, and the guy could... He's like trying to catch his breath, and Socrates yelled at him, What do you want? And the guy yelled, I want air. And Socrates looked at him and said, This. When you want wisdom as much as you desire air, then you will have it. What he's saying is this you got to desire wisdom. You have to want it. And when you want it so bad, you'll begin to pursue it. And then when you pursue it, you have it. So, you guys need to do me a little favor now. I'm going to dismiss you to go. When you head back, in the back, there are some clipboards. Okay, Some of you will just go straight into pre-K. Others of you are going to go grab a clipboard right back center. Okay, And uh, there's going to be a sermon note sheet on there. If you fill out the sermon note sheet and answer some of the little questions or whatever, at the end, you get a prize. I have no idea what the prize is. But I'm going to fill out my sermon note sheet too. Then maybe I can get one. Okay? So you got it? Makes sense? So make your way back there and then go find your parents. Got it? And I'm going to just uh, keep going. And uh, we'll keep talking to the rest of you. This morning, we are uh, talking about this idea of wisdom. And the hope is this whole fall to spend some time in the book of Proverbs. To really look at Proverbs to understand it. Uh, to have it inform us in some powerful ways. And uh, my hope this morning is to give us just a little bit of an intro to the book of Proverbs, to kind of whet our appetite for what's going to happen over the rest of the fall. So let me say this at first. Proverbs is really an ancient book that is filled with some incredibly, incredibly relevant wisdom. Now here's why I think it retains its relevancy, apart from the fact that it was authored by God, okay, apart from that fact, I think it retains its relevancy simply because it's a a book about being human. What I mean by that is it's a book that highlights the messy, the complicated aspects of life. It's a book that gives advice, it gives warnings, it gives wisdom for those who will listen And all the while is a very practical, practical book. So not only does it give this 
earthly human wisdom and a wisdom from God, it also, I think, the book of Proverbs is a bit of a gospel book. What I mean by that is that it's good news for ordinary people. The book of Proverbs is good news for ordinary people. It's about grace for sinners, wisdom for idiots. It's a book I can relate to. It's a book that I'm saying, man, I I would like a little bit more of wisdom. It reminds me of this uh, passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking and He says this right at the end to summarize the whole Sermon on the Mount. Everything that He's declared, all of the Beatitudes, then all of this teaching about you say this, I say this. This is what you understood it to mean, but let me explain what it really means. He gets to the very end and He says this. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into action, lives them out, is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And then he said, he who hears these words and does not put them into action is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And what he's comparing and contrasting isn't just this idea of wisdom, it's this idea of applied knowledge that we actually live out what it is we're learning Throughout this series, our hope and our goal is to allow the book of Proverbs to be a gospel, to be good news to people who are fully human and want to understand what it means to live into all that God has called us into. Let me give you a quick little outline of where we're headed. Um, Proverbs is broken into primarily two sections. Chapters 1 through 9 is the intro. All of uh, chapters 1 through 9 is basically this uh, statement or this appeal to get you to read the rest of the book. It's saying, hey, check this out. If you want to know something good, it's coming. And let me give you all these reasons why you should keep reading. That's what chapters 1 through 9 are. And then chapters 10 through 31 are all about the wisdom. This is how, what it looks like for fools. This is what it looks like for wise people. This is what it looks like to apply it to your life. And chapters 10 through 31 spell that out. And this fall, we're going to be looking at the following areas. We'll just throw it up on the screen. Today, we're talking about the subject of fear. Then we're going to cover a different topic each week. Keep, hold, covers, guard, neither lips, find, walk, and drink. And each applies to a particular principle or a particular idea within the Scriptures that we'll begin to meditate on, begin to discuss in group, and then seek and pray that it brings this wisdom into our life. So this morning, what I want to do is uh, just highlight a few thoughts on this idea of wisdom that are all found in the intro to the book. So for those of you following along, chapters 1-9, to the intro, in that intro, uh, there's a few nuggets of wisdom that I want us to chat about this morning. Alright? So let me pray, and then we're going to look at this uh, little section Um, Let's pray. God, we want to be attentive to what your word says. We want to be reminded about wisdom. May you speak to us in such a way that, just like we talked about with the kids, that we might desire it, that we might long for it, that we might want so badly to have wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to highlight a few things. The first one is this, that wisdom is to be pursued. Wisdom is to be pursued, to be chased after, to be longed for. There's a passage in Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 5, that says this, 
My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I mean, right from the very beginning, we get this idea that wisdom is not a spectator sport. Right? You have to be engaged in it. Look at, just look at the words up here. You receive it. You treasure it. You make your ear attentive to it. You incline your heart to it. You call out for it. You raise your voice for it. You seek it. You search for it. You do all those things. And then the text says, then, after doing all that, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. It's only after the pursuit. It's only after chasing it down. Isn't that true of most things in life, though? Right? That the things we really want, the things that truly matter, are things that have to be worked for. They don't come easy. They don't just walk up to you and you accept them. There are things that you have to pursue. You have to be attentive to, sacrifice for, work for. And that's what I think the book of Proverbs is getting at. That throughout the book of Proverbs, and one of the major themes in the introduction is that there's a pursuit needed and an effort needed to this idea of wisdom. In the first nine chapters, these are some words that you would see. We'll throw them up on the screen. You're going to see... The word receive four times, treasure three times. You can read through this list that we're calling out. We want to keep this wisdom 16 times. We need to hear it or lay hold of it or hold fast to it. Don't turn away from it. You get this idea that there's much repetition again and again and again that wisdom is something to be pursued. So here would be a question for you to kind of wrestle with in small groups. In what ways can we pursue wisdom? As a group or as individuals? In what ways can we pursue wisdom? If you're going to be at group this week, jot that question down. To ask to people in your group, in what ways can we begin to pursue wisdom? Because wisdom is to be pursued. Second, wisdom is to be valued. Wisdom is to be valued. I get the impression sometimes in our culture that wisdom is not maybe the most celebrated acquisition. That there are a few other things that we prize or value more than wisdom. So let me ask you this. So what are some of those values, qualities, those things that we desire or crave more than wisdom in our society? You tell me. Pleasure. Good. What else? Power. Wealth. Say that again. Comfort. Love. Success. Celebrity. Fame. Recognition. Some health. Happiness. And the list could go on and on. I think there are many things that our society would encourage you to pursue or desire or want more than wisdom. But the Proverbs would tell you something quite different than that. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And Solomon is trying to paint a picture here for us, right? That that there is an incredible amount of value in wisdom. That he's saying, in essence, that wisdom is is immeasurably more important than all those other things we listed. Than pleasure or fame or recognition, comfort. The list goes on and on. That wisdom is to be desired above all of those. If you think about it for a moment, think about the ability to navigate the complexities of life. Or think about the skillful art required in negotiating some of the gray areas. Or having the wherewithal to not be a complete fool most of the day and to be a fool in front of others. All of those are to be valued far more than wisdom or fame or power, right? Wisdom, this desire to have it, is way more significant than the other things we value. So, wisdom is to be valued, right? Number three, wisdom is a way. Wisdom is a way. Now, maybe you've heard this phrase before. Hopefully you have. We make the way by walking. Have you heard that phrase before? We make the way or we create the path by walking. It's our steps, the direction we're headed that creates or makes the path that we ourselves take and that others follow. I think it's an interesting proverb, but one that really relates to this book we're looking through. In fact, this metaphor of the path or the way is one that's found again in the first nine chapters quite frequently. In fact, 25 times the word way or road or path is used in the first nine chapters. The idea is that life is this metaphor of a a way, a path, a journey. I mean, it's something we probably talk about quite often, that your life is a bit of a journey that you're on this road, that you're traveling, that all of us are traveling, that we're all sojourners from one point to another. These are all words you've heard. These are all metaphors or word pictures that have perhaps at some point captured you. But we get this idea from the Proverbs. It wasn't just invented recently. This is something that's been around for a while. In fact, in Proverbs 3, it says this, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. He's comparing life with walking away, this path, this journey, this progress. And wisdom is that way. It's that way of life. It's that way of walking And life, I think, in many ways, is a long set of steady, repeated, mundane steps. 
I think that's what wisdom is getting at. That life is a set of steady, repeated, mundane steps. It's a bit like hiking. I'm sure some of you have gone hiking before. Last time I went hiking, just a little while ago this summer, we were climbing this, really it was a long incline for miles. Seven miles to get where we wanted to go. Seven miles to get to the place where you could rest and then go, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And it was just one step after another, after another, after another, to get where you were wanting to go, right? And finally you arrive at your destination hours later, but you don't really think back to all the little steps that it took. You talk about the journey, you talk about the path or the way, but it's the mundane, small, repeated, steady steps that get you where you're going. Maybe, let me put it this way. Who you are and who you become is ultimately the product of how you do little things every day. Who you are and who you are becoming is really the product of how you do little things every day. Now, our culture would tell you the opposite. Our culture would tell you the most important thing about you are the big things. Right? The degree you got, the job you have, the award you just received, the status that you have, all the things that you would want to put on your resume are the things that are most important, the things that are most significant. But here's the truth. What makes you who you are Truly who you are. Your inner character. Right? It's gained through a long set of steady, repeated, mundane steps. The very core of who you are doesn't come in those big events. doesn't come in those grand successes. It comes in the everyday, small, little mundane, steady steps. That's what refines your character. That's what makes you who you're called to be. It's like a quote, a friend of mine used to say this to me again and again and again. He said, life is not determined by what you want, but by the choices that you make. This is something that I tell the interns again and again and again. Life is not determined by what you want. You might desire something. You might want so badly to acquire it. You might want a life that looks a certain way. You might want or desire something and crave it, right? But it's not determined by what it is you want, what you hope for. It's determined by the choices that you make every single day. That's why wisdom is a way. It's a path. And for some of us, we forget that there's this cause and effect relationship, right? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, there's this really interesting cause and effect. It says that a man will reap what? What he sows, Right? What it's saying, there's no way around this. If you, if you sow wisdom, you're going to reap wisdom. If you sow folly, you're going to reap folly. Whatever it is you're sowing, whatever it is you're scattering, is the very thing you are going to ultimately reap. It might not come right at the beginning. You might be able to avoid or escape it for a bit. But in the end, the thing that you sow is the thing that you reap, right? It's, this is the way God set it up. It's a cause and effect relationship. And that's where I think many of us have the disconnect when it comes to wisdom. 
We think we can sow folly. We think we can make a really just horrible choice. And then it won't have any consequences on the thing that we hoped for. I want so bad to have this thing, but I'm going to make a decision that's completely opposite of what I really want, but then I'm going to be disappointed that I didn't get what I really wanted. Let me give you some examples. There are many women that I've talked to that would say one day they desire so badly to be married to someone who's a man of character, a man who follows the Lord, that man that has his act together, knows where he's going and what he wants to do and what he wants to accomplish in life. And yet, they'll go out with anyone that asks. I mean, well, as long as they're cute, right? That's like the priority. That's the, well, I mean, if they're cute, you know, if they ask. No. You can't want one thing and then make all your choices about another. Or I hear guys who will say to me on a regular basis, like, I want a good relationship. I want one where I'm loved and I'm respected. That, Well, here's, you're not going to get there by going to the club every other weekend and sleeping around. It does not end up in a great relationship. Period. It's not how you start. But we say we want one thing and then we completely go the opposite direction. Or we talk to couples who are saying they want a great relationship with their spouse. What they desire so badly is to have a long-term, great, beautiful marriage and relationship. And then we'll consistently make choices that either prioritize the kids over the spouse, prioritize work over spouse, prioritize hobby over spouse. And then they wonder why they don't have a great relationship. Because it's the daily mundane steps that lead to the path that leads to where you're going, right? Or some of us say we want a deep, lasting relationship with God and intimacy with Him. Where we know Him, we feel like we're known by Him and we know Him. And yet you ask, when was the last time you actually spent time in the Word of God or in prayer? Or how, how much are you engaging with the church, with the small group, with your community? The answer is marginal. Well, then, then we kind of know what path you're on. We know that you won't get the result you're looking for. I mean, these are very much cause and, you know, cause and effect relationships. I want to be financially secure when I get to a particular age, or I want to make wise choices with God's money, but I am choosing a lifestyle that means I have to live off sustained debt, or that I make decisions of instant gratification, and then we go, why isn't it resulting in this? Because it's the daily, mundane, small little choices that determine the path you're on. It's very simple. So here's a question for you to engage with in group. Where are the discrepancies between what you desire in life and the choices that you're making? Like, where's the disconnect? Where are those things that you would share with the group? This is where I want to be. This is the thing that I desire. This is the thing that I want. And here's where my choices are in many ways mitigating against the very thing that I desire. Be vulnerable enough to share that. Be open enough to say, hey, how, how can I have help with that? To begin to talk through this way, <clears throat> excuse me, this way of wisdom, because your decisions ultimately determine the direction of your life. Let me give you one final one. Wisdom is a posture. Wisdom is a posture. 
There's a verse in Proverbs 1.7. And kids, this is like one of your verses for the day here, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, if we were going to distill the whole book of Proverbs down into one verse, one theme, one idea, one picture, it would be this verse, verse 7 of chapter 1, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That term, the fear of the Lord, is repeated at least 18 times in the book of Proverbs. Again and again it comes up that if you, want, if you live this way, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. You heard it earlier. Or if you want to know what the fear of the Lord is, it's this. And it describes again and again that wisdom, that this life should be built on a fear of the Lord. So some of you maybe are asking, what then is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? I've heard the phrase, it certainly doesn't mean to be scared of Him. It certainly doesn't mean to be overcome with uh, just distressing emotions or terror. That's not the point. The point is not at all, and this context is not communicating that in any way. Really, I think the fear of the Lord is to be God-conscious. The fear of the Lord is to have this awareness of God, to be aware of His presence. Maybe another way of saying it is this. The fear of the Lord means having an accurate view of God and then an accurate view of ourselves in relation to Him. So you could say it this way. It's a relational posture before God where I understand that He's King and I'm not King. That He's God and I'm not God. That He's full of wisdom and I need a lot of wisdom. It's this difference between who He is, understanding Him accurately, and then understanding who I am accurately, and then me just being aware of Him in life. That's what it means to fear the Lord. You could say that it means to to trust Him, to follow Him. The song we sang earlier, that that my my trust would be without borders. That I would say, God, you can take me anywhere you want to go because to fear you means to follow you. To be aware of you. To understand that you're the one leading, I'm the one following. That's this picture of the fear of the Lord. I was meeting with um, one of my my spiritual director, Father Armand. And he's this amazing 88-year-old man that just pours wisdom out on you. And I'm sitting with him. We're hanging out like in this little area next to the chapel. And uh, we're talking about the fear of the Lord, about this awareness of God, to be aware in His presence. And he said this, he goes, every day, I just want to thank God for life. I want to constantly be aware of Him. I want to sit here, and he pointed outside, and he goes, "I, I want to see this tree, and I want to go, God, you're breathing life into this tree, just like you're breathing life into me. And when I see it, I'm grateful. When I see it, I acknowledge you. And then he said, and these words I'll probably never forget. And then he said this. He goes, like when when I see the streams, when I see the mountains, and I'm talking with God, I just want to say this. I want to look, and then I want to go, I love you too. Like that this is a gift. That life is a gift. 
That everything He's created is a gift and that He's given it or allowed us to steward it. And it's saying to us, and He's saying to us, I love you. And we get to simply say, I love you too. To be aware, to fear Him. To understand who He is in relation to who we are. C.S. Lewis put it this way, In God you come up against something which in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Those are pretty harsh words. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. See, wisdom isn't just a knowledge to be acquired, it is also an attitude to be held, right? It is a, it's a posture. The fear of the Lord is a posture and awareness. So let me wrap up with this. I've said that wisdom is all of these things, right? That wisdom is to be desired, that it's to be pursued, that it's to be valued. We said that wisdom is a way, and then lastly, that wisdom is a posture. But I want to remind you of one last thing. Wisdom is a person, right? Wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That we are, find ourselves in the most wise place we could ever be when we put all of our security, all of our hope, all of our future, all of our dependency on who Jesus is. And what I want us to do to kind of wrap up our time this morning is to, uh, to participate in communion together. And uh, I'm going to invite you forward. The band is coming now. We're just going to go through just a couple songs. And as we go through those songs to wrap up our time, um, I want you to come to the table maybe different than you have before. So instead of coming and just remembering His gift, His sacrifice, His body broken, His blood shed, we do want you to remember that. I also want you to come to the table and say that God, You're the giver of all wisdom, right? You're the one that, that is wisdom. You are wisdom. And you say to us in the book of James that if anyone lacks wisdom, that he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He doesn't go, well, how come you don't already have it? Right? He goes, you want it? Thanks for pursuing me. Because I am it. I am wisdom. And so ask him for wisdom and then thank him for the gift. And then let's take communion together. Let me pray.